0: Coming up on Put It on the Board, we uh, kind of have a somber, unfortunate podcast and welcome you in to what many would consider to be the funeral of the 2023 Chicago White Sox, who were swept by the surging Tampa Bay Rays this weekend and lost two out of three to the Philadelphia Phillies earlier in the week. So we are now april twenty fourth and the White Sox have yet to win a series. They have yet to win back to back games, and they are seven and fifteen on the season as things are spiraling. Today's show is going to be a little bit different. Noah Phelan and I talking really about the big overwhelming question of how did we get here? How did we get to seven and fifteen? where we are legitimately considering uh, Rebuild 2.0, and you're starting to have to ask yourself, what of the White Sox core will still be intact at the end of the year? Uh, It's just crazy that we're having this conversation this early, but here we are. So uh, we are going to try our best to power through to stay strong as White Sox fans. Episode 8 coming your way. Let's put some crooked numbers up on that board. This is episode eight of the Put It On The Board podcast. And uh, yeah, if you heard the intro, this is a tough podcast to have. And I can't believe today is Monday, April 24th. And we're having this conversation, Noah. Um, but the Chicago White Sox are 7-15. and 15. They were swept by the Tampa Bay Rays this weekend. They lost two out of three to the Philadelphia Phillies. I'm not sure our expectations were high For the Sox this weekend, but they just continue to find new ways to lose Um, all of the same frustrations, all of the same bad habits, all of the things that made them an underachieving 500 team a year ago are kind of all occurring at once here in April. And the fan base has uh, kind of sadly checked out. Like we're rather apathetic as a fan base for such a passionate group. We are to, we like, I'm at the point, I know you're kind of at the point where it's like, I don't know how much more mental, like how much more mental capacity I have for it, how much more energy I can give to this team and to live and die with every result every day. They've gotten to the point for me where I kind of go about my business. I check the box scores. I watch the highlights. If I get I get notifications that Jake Berger hit a two-run home run, I say, sweet, attaboy, Jake. And that's kind of like the extent of what my White Sox viewing experience is, not because of fan weather, fairdom, fan, is that fa- fan? Fair, fair weather, weather, fandom. Uh, say that <laughs> 10 times fast. <laughs> not because of fair weather, fandom, or any of that. It's just for my own well being of like, I, I, even if my expectations are on the floor, I still find myself wanting to punch a wall watching some of these at bats the White Sox are putting forward. So, I mean, we're going to have a different show today because, uh, and I'll get your take on this last week and where they're at. But I want to talk about like how we got here uh, because I think a lot of fans even the most optimistic of the bunch you and I know a fair few of them that will tell you I was wrong for being this optimistic and like Chuck Garfine is you know, he's non-existent on Twitter he was somebody that was like wanting to believe all the way down until he just couldn't do it anymore uh, and most of uh, the White Sox fans have begun to turn on this core in this team so I'll let you kind of recap the last week and then we'll kind of dive into our big question
1: yeah, I can't really say I'm surprised. I mean we looked at the upcoming schedule and we knew that it was gonna be a gauntlet. And you know, I, I bet you there was a small part of us that was thinking, you know what, maybe they
0: can pull it off. Maybe they'll surprise us. See, maybe I they a, will I have a confession. I <laughs> go for it. I tried to watch the game today. My plan was actually I'm gonna watch the game as checked out as I had been. I looked at the AL Central and said, If we win today and we're eight and fourteen we're within three or four wins of first. And I, that's not to say I think they're going to turn it around, but I was like, it at least gives me a rooting interest for today. And I was, I was doing some work on a Sunday afternoon and just trying to like get some work done. Um, and I get the notification, two nothing raise, home run, four nothing raise, another home run. And I just kind of said, all right. We're not gonna watch this one today. Like I'm not tuning into a four nothing ball game and like trying to. So yeah, I kind of did the same thing
1: yesterday. I against my better judgment, I was like, yeah, you know what? Dylan Cease is pitching today, so I'll I'll turn it on. And then uh, literally the first pitch that I turn on is a two run homer in the first inning by Randy Rosarena, um, and it was kind of like the meme of that the mouse that like opens the door and then sees something and then just turns around and shuts the yeah. door. That's kind of what I did. Well, I, I my open White the Sox. MLB app. Yeah. I I turn on the game. I watch one pitch. It's a home run. And I'm like, all right, well, that is going to be it for me. And then I turn it off. And, uh, I mean, I just uh, – you were right when you said that Sox fans are apathetic. I, I think that's the
0: kind of overwhelming response that I've been seeing this week. And we have seen, um, like, White Sox fans as a whole, Noah, are not ap- – like, Last year I was upset because my eyes were telling me the socks were not good and they weren't going to turn it around. And I had everybody telling me it's early, just wait, we'll be fine. They were still buying into every single game. And I said, guys, how are you doing this to yourself? And like, then I started to do it and it's just not in our DNA to check out, but it's like, What else can you do as a White Sox fan at this point other than like just remove yourself from it? Well, you know, I almost look at it as like the
1: five stages of grief that you learn about. Like when this thing started going South last year, we were kind of in denial and the response we got was, Oh, you know what? They'll turn it around. It's fine. You know, there's nothing to worry about. Well, and then you moved on to anger, you know, last year wraps up and, Things didn't go well and people are mad. And this off season, people were angry and they wanted change. <clears throat> but then you kind of, you know, the new season starts, people get caught up in the excitement of it. I'm, I'm guilty of that, but we're at the point now where it's the acceptance stage. It's the final stage
0: of the grief process. I'm not, we have all... I'm not there. I, I'm not I there. Think... I'm still in depression. So it goes <laughs> depression, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, I was denial last year, anger for the better part of last year, anger throughout the off season, angry to start kind of like all of spring training. I got to the end and I said bargaining. Time to go for, well, maybe they'll be fun. Maybe they'll be competitive. Maybe we can just win a division. Maybe we could just get a wild card. I'll take a wild card. I'll take 85 wins. Just be be fun to watch and now I'm in depression, full depression. And I, I haven't hit acceptance yet. I've accepted what they are, but I haven't accepted the harsh reality that is to follow um, that we are kind of headed full steam ahead towards here as this season spirals out of control.
1: Yeah. I think that the majority of Sox fans are somewhere in that range, somewhere between the depression stage and the acceptance stage where you know, we aren't angry anymore. We're just we're just sad that this is how the years of rebuilding has ended up. Um and the next step is just I don't really care anymore. I'm going to and this is kind of where I'm at, you know, I'm going to watch baseball because I like baseball. I'm going to I'm going to keep track of scores around the league. I have two fantasy baseball leagues that I'm in. I'm going to keep track of those players. I'm going to see how things are going. I'll check the White Sox score, like I said, but ultimately, I don't really care the result. I just, my expectations are that the White Sox are going to lose every game, and so it just doesn't bother me when they do anymore. I'm just, the White Sox are what they are, and we can talk a lot about the path moving forward here, um, if we would like, but I... I'm having trouble seeing an easy path for them moving forward, which is a completely different issue, but the 2023 White Sox are not a good baseball team. And I think it's time that everyone just accept that.
0: And I think we have, I I think we have, I I mean, and I am not even going to go as far as to say, this is the cope that what I'm about to tell you is the cope that White Sox fans like to do, but they're so talented but they they have it in them. Lucas G has that, and I'm not even going to use him as an example because he's been fine, but I mean, Eloy Jimenez, he has it in him. Yoan Moncada, look at 2019. He can be that player. We've seen the flashes of Luis Robert. They have it in them to be that team. And people keep using the word talent with the White Sox. Look at all the talent. And, uh, they are not a talented baseball team. They're not. If you think they are, I think you you are misdefining that word. Like they ha- they were a team with a lot of potential that have not materialized into talent because talent at this level produces results and is consistent and uh, it is reliable and accountable and uh, this team that possibly was the most hyped prospect core of any rebuild really in recent memory that I can remember of like, this team has eight of the top 100 watch out for all these guys arriving at the same time. They're they are not talented big leaguers that execute on a day in and a day out basis. They do not do the little things. Well, they do not work as a unit together. They don't score runs. They give away too many runs. They give away too many home runs. Like we need to stop confusing the potential that this group had, the potential that Rick Hahn saw when he made these trades with what they are now, because since July of 2021, they've told you that they're a loser team, that they're 500 when things are going good with potential to spiral out of control. Like, the the moral of the 2022 season is well everything that could have went wrong went wrong and we still wound up 81 and 81 clearly that's not true because you got great performances out of Johnny Cueto you had a Cy Young type season from Dylan Cease you had Elvis Andrus playing like all-star caliber second base for you while Jose Abreu was still hitting over 300 at like there were still flashes and yet here we are a year later with a handful of guys that are doing their job and majority of guys that are disappointing you day in and day out. So no, they're not talented. They had potential, but they're, you're right. They're a bad team. They're not a good team and they're not going to be under this current group.
1: I saw a tweet about this earlier this week. Um, and I think it was pretty accurate. Um, it's not a, it's not an account that I usually see a lot of good takes from, but he said something along the lines of, you know, the White Sox championship window never really opened. And I think I agree.
0: A hundred percent, that's accurate.
1: I mean, <laughs> I, I'll see arguments from people like, oh, 2020, 2021. And here's what I'll say about that. Um, the 2020 season, first of all, 60 games, it's really hard to take anything that happened in twenty twenty for what it is. I mean, 60 games is not even a third of the normal major league baseball season, or it's right around, it, it's a little a more little, than a third. I can't do math. Uh, it's, yeah. it's the weekend. Um,
0: like but 170% of a regular season, I believe is like the math on that. Right. So,
1: you know, you look at 2020 and that team limped to the finish line. I don't know if you remember the end of that season, but I think they, I think they like were the 500
0: last... in the second half. I mean, yeah, you...
1: the last week of that season, I think they went like one and seven or something. They would have easily won the division had they won one or two games that last week and they couldn't.
0: Oh, you're they talking 2020. Yeah. Yeah. They no, that going as a seven choked, seed. They choked a the division. I mean, they were going to be well into the playoffs, but they finished third in the division, like somehow after dominating it for the greater part of two months.
1: Yeah. So you get into the playoffs, which is great. If you get in, you can win. That's kind of how baseball works. But if you look at that roster, I mean, they had two starting pitchers. They had Lucas Giolito and they had Dallas Keuchel before he was bad. And they didn't have a game three starter. You saw it. They started Dane Dunning in game three, and he didn't even get out of the first inning before Ricky Renteria went to the bullpen and the bullpen just didn't hold up over a nine inning
0: game, but that team was you saw a lot built. of, you saw a lot of inexperience in that team too, where it was like, it was Garrett crochet pitching. It was, uh, you know, uh, I believe we had it, Matt Foster had had a really good year that year and started to get innings for them. And he got into that playoff game and you were like, all right, well, these guys are like, they're just so new and so inexperienced that it didn't feel like, like the time just wasn't right.
1: Yeah, no, I'm with you. That that team was not built for a deep playoff run. That team felt to me like, let's get in, let's give these guys a sample of what the playoffs are like, and then we'll come back next year even stronger. So that season ends. Ricky Renteria fired Tony La Russa in, and they acquired Lance Lynn. They signed Liam Hendricks to the big contract. Now you're looking at a rotation that has some more legs to it. You've got You know, Giolito, Keiko, Lynn, um, Dylan C still there and Carlos Rodon, who they brought back on a one year deal. Um, And he ended up being their best pitcher in 2021, but they didn't really plan for that, I don't think. But 2021, you know, they play really good baseball in the first half. Um, Again, I look at 2021 and say, well, Cleveland starting pitching was demolished by injuries that year. The Minnesota Twins just played horribly
0: the entire season. And let's, so, call it, let's call it what it is. 2021 was magic for the first half of the year because I remember in May saying, this season just ended with Luis Robert tearing his hamstring or whatever it was that he did. And I Eloy mean, it Jimenez was, in
1: spring training. It
0: was Jimenez with the peck in spring training. It was Madrigal in, you know, with the, whatever he did. I don't even remember at this point, torn and
1: hamstring. I think believe for him. that was in late
0: April or early May. And he was on the shelf long-term and Luis Robert goes down and you just kind of looked in the mirror and said, how in the heck is this team with Moncada banged up every other two weeks Jimenez, Robert Madrigal on the shelf long-term supposed to withstand 162 games at the top of this division. Like they got magic out of jake lamb brian goodwin billy hamilton was he on that team i think so yeah. yeah i think billy hamilton brian goodwin jake lamb you had a absolutely resurgent ace campaign from carlos rodan at the top of your rotation lance lynn was as good as he had ever been well, and you had three three good starting pitchers i mean you had lynn giolito and rodan that you
1: knew for a fact you were going to be in this ball game regardless because they were going to shove that night
0: you a lot went right for that team in the first month and it was so much fun tim anderson's like field of dreams game you're getting three homer performances from sebi zavala it just felt like how this team is find a way to lose that white Sox team was going to find a way to win like, Gavin Sheets hit a couple walk-off home runs that year. They were always in games and had the big hit when they needed it. And then you hit the All-Star break, and things were stagnant the rest of the way, large in part because the talent level like of that team was not of a runaway division champion caliber. But they were so far ahead that they coasted and coasted into the playoffs, and they got in they gave us that blackout game which um was just a phenomenal memory and they lose in the playoffs and the message is okay they they were hurt and they didn't do enough right they well, they got Craig Kingroll and Cesar Hernandez but like you can look at that team and you can look at
1: like their individual games against good teams and i remember thinking this at the time they struggled against good teams they didn't play well against the yankees they got i remember them they went to houston for 4 and they got swept that and they played just not good baseball that series at all and so that was something that even raised a red flag at the time it's like yeah this team's going to win 90 games and they're going to win the division but i haven't seen them prove that they can win a series against one of these other top teams in the american league
0: anything can happen in the playoffs like baseball playoffs so like i think a lot of Sox fans were trying to be like pumped up and optimistic because hey we hadn't had home playoff baseball in 13 years at the time and we were like let's just take this for what it is. It's another step towards the ultimate goal. Uh, And, you know, it didn't end the way that anybody wanted to in that, in that division series. And then things just sort of like, uh, we know what happened last year. We don't have to go off into like, you know, how bad and insufferable and terrible it was last year. And we've been over the off season and the start of this year. So with that kind of being the, you know, summarized version of the last four years. I would agree with that statement, by the way, the championship window never really truly opened because even that Sox team in the ALDS felt like they were a skeleton of what they should and could be with everybody on the field and felt like they had more in the tank to give. Like, I mean, Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez were back for like the playoffs, but it was, you know, what if these guys were at full strength? What if, uh, you know, Nick Madrigal was playing second base instead of Cesar Hernandez? What if, you know, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? But no, how did we get here? How did we go from that magic of that first season that was like, this team can't lose, by the way, with Tony La Russa as their manager, I know a lot of people credit the hiring of Tony La Russa is the thing that flipped the switch, but the white Sox played some really good baseball with Tony La Russa as their manager. So how did we get to as miserable and apathetic as we are now? I think there's a couple things you can point to, but is there something that sticks out to you as really being like a, where we went wrong as uh, I say, we obviously uh, as as if I'm part of the franchise or roster, but um, just where this organization went wrong to not capitalize on what we thought should have been the good old days. I don't think there's one specific
1: thing that we can point to, um, but the one that sticks out to me is the core, the position player core that was hyped up for many, many years as Oh, you know, Yoan Moncada, number 1 prospect in baseball. Luis Robert was a top 5. Eloy Jimenez I think was top 10 at one point. None of those guys turned into the star player that they were supposed to turn into. All of these guys when healthy are productive major league players. Um, but I don't think any of them are stars. And when you have a when you have a top prospect, when you have a guy who quite literally is the number one prospect in baseball and he does not become a superstar. That's disappointing. Um,
0: it is I wild think- because I, I look at all the other young stars in the league and I've, I, I've thought this, my entire baseball fandom, it's like, why, why can't we have one of those guys? Where's our version of that guy? Like, where is our, and I know Jose Abreu won an MVP in the, you know, COVID year, whatever but where is our perennial MVP candidate? Where is our 40 home runs a year guy or our 30-30 every year guy? It's it's on the IL. For some reason, but I mean, if you are on the IL, you're not that guy. It's just like, why why do we not get one of them? Why is Ronald Acuna Jr. a star? And of course, Fernando Tatis Jr. is a star. And, (laughs) you know, all of these top prospects, right? Number one pick, Adley Rushman, immediate star. It's like- These guys come up and they perform and it's, we had the buzz for Moncada. We had the buzz for Robert. We had buzz and sure. There are occasional moments where you're like, Oh, there it is inside of him. But why is it never consistent? Why do we not have that guy?
1: Yeah, it's frustrating. I'm with you. I feel like every prospect that comes up to the White Sox has all these growing pains. And some of these guys that come up for other teams are just instantly superstars. And it's kind of irritating.
0: Wander Franco came up in Tampa and immediately was a was a superstar. Like, I mean, it it didn't take him long to adjust to big league ball. And like you see this around the league, like all the time. I mean, Yeah, I have no doubt he had a couple tough weeks to begin the year, but like Anthony Volpe is going to be awesome like this year and next year and every year from now on for the Yankees like he's going to pan out for them. So it's just like shrug, right?
1: Yeah, Uh, yeah, there's a lot of reasons ultimately why this didn't work out. But for me, that's the biggest one is we got some progress from some of these guys and then the progress stopped. And they never took the step forward to superstardom that they were supposed to take. And, you know, there are so many people that defend Yoan Moncada. And I don't think Yoan Moncada is a bad player. But given the hype of Yohan Moncada, given where he was ranked at number one on the top prospects list, being a pretty good, not great player is a disappointment for his career. Because when you are that highly ranked, you had better become a superstar or your career is a disappointment. And Luis Robert, same thing. I, Luis Robert is so incredibly frustrating for me because I see the potential and a lot of people see the potential, but there's just this one thing. He swings at way too many pitches. He doesn't take walks. And year after year after year, I feel like the conversation is, all right. You know, Luis Roberts been in the league for a while now. He's going to, he's going to hone in that plate discipline and he's going to be a superstar. And every year the sliders two feet off the outside corner and he's swinging at all of them. And it's just, we get, we have a bunch of guys that were supposed to be superstars and they're decent players,
0: but they're not superstars. None of them took that next step. I have an interesting thing for you. So I'm just kind of, I pulled this up on a whim the top prospects in baseball, this is by year. So let's start with when when the rebuild started, right? So I, I go to 2016, the top prospects in baseball. This is one, I'll just go one to 11. Number one is Corey Seager. Number two is Byron Buxton. Number three is Lucas Giolito, who the White Sox got from Washington uh, in their trade. Number four is Julio Urias, and then it goes J.P. Crawford, Orlando Arcia, Yoan Moncada, who the White Sox got from Boston, Dansby Swanson, Joey Gallo, Trey Turner, Tyler Glass now. So you're talking Trey Turner, MVP candidate every year, all-star. Tyler Glass now, injured, but Cy Young perennial type of stuff. Joey Gallo. We'll see what he is in Minnesota worked out great for Texas. Didn't work out in New York. TBD. Dansby Swanson's a star on the North side. He's a star. He was a star in Boston the last two years. One of the better players in the game. Orlando Ar- Swanson
1: didn't play for Boston.
0: All right. Uh, I said, uh, I don't know why I said Boston, Atlanta, the Atlanta, Braves. Yeah. Um, Orlando Garcia didn't work out. Not, not quite what uh, they thought they were getting there. J.P. Crawford, same deal. Julio Urias, stud, Corey Seager, stud, Byron Buxton, injured, but stud. <laughs> this is funny. The next year, looking back on now, num- number two in 2017 prospect in baseball is Yoan Moncada. Do you have a guess at number one? Uh, I don't. Go ahead and tell me. Andrew Benintendi. Oh, boy. Number three is Glaber Torres. Number four is Dansby Swanson. Number five is Ahmed Rosario. Number. Uh, let's go to 2018. So now two years after the White Sox are have acquired all this talent. They're building this talent. They're right on the cusp. Michael Kopek was number 10. Number one prospect in baseball, Shohei Otani. Any thoughts on that guy? He's pretty good, huh? Yeah, a decent player. Yeah, he's, he's fine. Okay. And yeah he's actually not even like performing awesome at the plate right now. And it's still like, but he's as good as he's ever been on the mound, which is just uh, crazy. So Shohei Otani, number one, number two, Ronald Acuna Jr. Number three, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Number four, Eloy Jimenez, Gleber Torres, Fernando Tatis Jr., Victor Robles, Nick Zell, Forrest Whitley, Michael Kopech. So Eloy is sandwiched right in between. Tatis Torres Guerrero Acuna Otani and our guy is the one that can't stay on the field like that is the type of thing that is just like deflating as a Sox fan of like why couldn't we have had any of the other guys where's my Vlad Jr. you know you see
1: from those lists obviously the White Sox are not the only team that had players that didn't work out but I feel like in the position that the White Sox put themselves in, which is we need these
0: guys to be good. Not every prospect's going to hit, but like for every Astros, Forrest Whitley, there was an Astros, Kyle Tucker. And when you (laughs) don't spend money to supplement what you have, you can't afford for your prospects to not work out. So you just hit on it because you said the core not developing was kind of the reason that stood out to you. And I think that's a very, very fair argument. And as you mentioned off the top, there is not one thing you can point to and say, well, this is why the White Sox didn't work out. I mean, it is a combination of a a series of unfortunate events from injuries to core not developing to poor drafting or poor draft decisions, even though the players didn't develop. Like Nick Madrigal over Jared Kalenic was a, like, regardless of Kalenic's failures for the last couple seasons, it was a poor process to take the slap hitting second baseman at number four overall or wherever it was that he went. The thing to me that has jumped out time and time again is the White Sox hit a point in 2021 where, as I said, they had magic. Jake Lamb was giving them productive games. Brian Goodwin was giving them productive games. They were anchored by their pitching staff, and Jose Abreu was good enough to carry an offense, and Tim Anderson was good enough to carry an offense. And you made haste, like you, you, made, you made do at the top of the AL Central. And the White Sox sat on their hands. The White Sox failed to supplement their core with complementary pieces that actually meant something in order to provide organizational depth needed to be good and survive worst case scenarios. I look at the 2019 White Sox that had those core members in place. You were convinced people were going to take a jump and they went in the offseason. and sure we don't, maybe we don't look upon all of these signings that fondly now, but they spent on Dallas Keuchel they went out and they uh, actually the off season after they, they go and get Lance Lynn and they go and get Liam Hendricks and they and go before and they signed
1: they get, Dallas Keuchel. They had the highest offer for they Zach went in on Zach
0: Wheeler. They paid Edwin Encarnacion because they said, well, shoot, we need a DH come hit bombs. And he basically all he did was hit bombs for the white Sox Like he didn't hit a ton of anything else, but he hit bombs. And so I look and I was like, that was a team that said, We know we have a core. Let's go get all the help they need. And they did it again the next offseason. And in 2021, that offseason, everything changed. Everything was different. They made an excuse for their shortcomings by saying, well, we we were a little bit injured. Well, you know, uh, we are probably even better than that when everybody's at full strength. I don't know if Rick Hahn got cute thinking he was the smartest man around because he signed Brian Goodwin and Jake Lamb and they played well, but that offseason what did they do? Adam Eaton, Josh Harrison, Joe Kelly, they add to the bullpen and add just pointless, half-assed depth. It it was not the fix at second base. As much as I like Josh Harrison as, as a player, it was certainly not the fix in right field because you moved on from Adam Eaton, basically, as soon as you had a chance to, uh, I believe Eaton was
1: 2021. They got
0: AJ Pollock before. Oh, you're right. You're right. So you're correct. Sorry. So it was Pollock right at the, right at the buzzer, right. Moving Kimbrell, you added Kendall Graveman and it was kind of like, okay, but you're, you're throwing in another relief pitcher to the money that you've spent in, in relief. And who are we watching Go and sign free agent deals elsewhere. Like Kyle Schwarber hits 47 home runs for the Philadelphia Phillies. He was available at a position of need, didn't cost too much, and they said, "No, we're good." Like we trust Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez, and we trust Yoan Moncada to be 2019 Yoan Moncada, and they did the same thing this year. They did the same thing. They said, Oscar Colas, I know he's a rookie. He's going to be the answer in right field. And he might be a good player someday. He might be a fine player now even. But he wasn't the answer that you needed. They did go get Andrew Benintendi. But they didn't address second base outside of $3 million for Elvis Andrus. They didn't acknowledge Johnny Cueto's awesome season last year, his departure, and the lack of depth at starting pitcher. Liam Hendricks got diagnosed with cancer, got diagnosed with cancer in January, and they said, we don't know if he'll even pitch for us this year. They didn't add to the bullpen so they found themselves like they found themselves sitting on their hands refusing to push their chips all in for some reason that is so far beyond what i can comprehend for an organization that said we need to we need to prove ourselves to our fans we need to earn your trust back we plan to do that both in what we do this off season and in our play on the field to really not do a single damn thing about the issues that everybody saw in the white Sox, Yeah. And the
1: Andrew Benintendi signing, I think even goes I still along like with
0: that. I, I still, I mean, it. I, I like, I like
1: Andrew Benintendi as a player, but he was not the ideal situation. If you were looking at the issues last year, I kind so of
0: disagree. I do there, disagree.
1: A couple of the major issues that they had, we touched on this a little bit. They, they didn't walk. Andrew Benintendi does walk. So that, that, is an improvement there. They
0: didn't play good defense. He plays They didn't good play defense.
1: good defense. He plays competent defense. Uh, He's he, above
0: average in left field. He has
1: graded below average so far in his metrics this year. But for his but, career. But getting somebody who is semi-coordinated in left field was an upgrade over Jimenez. But arguably the biggest problem with the White Sox offense last year was too many ground balls. And Andrew Benintendi is part of the problem not a solution to that problem
0: no I mean that is something that they I don't know how you have all this power all this power in the bats of Robert Jimenez like I mean even Abreu in the final years of his deal and it's just so many ground balls like I, I don't understand that whatsoever and we can't blame
1: Frank Menichino for it because Not it's anymore. the exact same thing this Not year anymore. with a new hitting coach. <sighs>
0: yeah, so I mean, I just I don't you can't know. Can't blame the Tony is. for that one because it might have been Tony's philosophy that we're going to hit, put the ball in play, and that's what he wanted Frank to teach him. But they're doing it without him. So, I, like, it comes down to for me, like when I watch, and this is what I went back to when this offseason happened. In the moment was the Phillies lost in the World Series last year. And what did they do? They did not say, well, Bryson Stott's going to be up for a full season this year. And I think we've really unlocked something in Alec Boehm. And we liked what we saw in Brandon Marsh down the stretch. And he's going to play some good center field for us. They did not rely on what they saw that worked for them. They said, we're going to go get Trey Turner. And we're going to find room for everybody else. We're going to go upgrade at that position. We're going to go get taiwan walker and add another arm to our like rotation. We know we have Wheeler, we know we have Nola. Give us Taiwan Walker too. Let's add. They they splashed at the biggest things that they needed really without concern for what money they had spent or invested or you know what things looked like without those players because at the end of the day spending 180 million dollars doesn't mean a thing. If you're like, what is I bet you if you ask Jerry Reinsdorf straight to his face, hey Jerry, what would you rather do? Spend 180 million, be middle of the road in attendance and finish 75 and 87? Or would you rather go to 220 million dollars, win the division, and be a top 10 attendance in baseball and probably sell uh three to five home playoff sellouts as well, as well as playoff merchandise and capitalize on that? I think a businessman says. Well, we'll spend the money up front and reap the benefits later. And for whatever reason, the White Sox don't seem to agree. Like they don't seem to agree with that idea. Every other team in baseball agrees with that philosophy that when you're already like, I'm pot committed. I came in, I bet big pre-flop that this is actually a good analogy. Rick Hans at a poker table. He's got a seat at the table and he says, all right Seed at the table i see what you did there i see all these prospects in my hand i see this absolutely loaded hand and he's blind the cards haven't come out yet the flop hasn't come out and he he three bets he puts this big raise which is rick hans extensions to luis robert eloy jimenez Juan Moncada, aaron bummer these pieces that he was betting on early the flop came out he saw uh maybe a high pair that he liked. He he really liked what he what what he had. And as this hand has progressed, Rick has started to look at his hand and not be so fond of it anymore. But you know how you can win that pot in the middle that you're already almost all the way committed to? You bet again. You rebet and you bet on your cards by uh you know pushing all in and scaring everybody else out of the hand. But what does he do? He folds, or he checked. He checked folded. He said, oh, I checked to you, Cleveland. They win the division. I checked to you, Minnesota. They go s- sign players. I checked to you, Padres with Machado. Checked to you, Phillies with Harper, Phillies with Wheeler, Phillies with Trey Turner, and everybody else you can name. And then he folded his hand, and he said, you know what? I'm good. I don't want to play... Over there, I'm going to keep my small stack of chips that I have on this side. I'm going to turn my cards in and I'm just going to go get another hand and hope that I do better next time. Like, it doesn't make sense to be almost all the way in, but never fully commit to something. And so that is the reason that this hasn't worked because what do the White Sox look like if Kyle Schwarber's in right field? Are ground balls still a problem? Are lack of home runs still an issue? For some guys, maybe, but if I'm a pitcher going through a lineup that goes healthy, Tim Anderson, Andrew Benintendi, Kyle Schwarber, Eloy Jimenez, Andrew Vaughn, Luis Robert, Yoan Moncada, Yasmani Grandal, I am trembling in my damn boots. But you didn't want to play at that level, and I don't even know how much money Kyle Schwarber got. I don't think it matters. Is is Lucas Giolito struggles or Lance Lynn struggles. Like if these guys continue to not pitch well, there is absolutely nothing you can do because you didn't add depth at starting pitcher. Reynaldo Lopez sucks as the White Sox closer right now. Sucks out loud. Stinks. Not high leverage at all. And your only option is really Kendall Graveman. Like you, you just, you've chosen not to add depth or go all in ever, and then we're supposed to be surprised when the hand comes back and you don't have the best cards. I don't know.
1: I think, right. I think the bullpen's different. I I don't think the problem is they didn't invest in the bullpen know, no, No, I. But it is
0: organizational <laughs> depth. I mean, it is organization because they they invested poorly in the bullpen, which is something that we've gone over. Like you need. They did it all. You know backwards. They said, we're going to go and get top high-end guys that we're going to pay big dollar to in the bullpen and try and do a little piece here, a little piece there, a little piece here on offense and patch up some of this work. No, you do it the other way. You go get the big names for the guys that are going to take four at bats every day. You spend the money up front, and then you can find a productive, Keenan Middleton absolutely anywhere every year if you know where to look so like they did it the bullpen is not yeah it's not an investment issue but it's a how they use their investment and how they approach that investment as somehow being the savior for all of their problems
1: yeah and I think that right there is exactly why Jerry Reinsdorf is not only to blame for this, nor is Rick Hahn only to blame for this.
0: It is absolutely a combined effort.
1: Yes. Jerry Jerry Reinsdorf is to blame for going cheap. Just like you said, you know, what's the difference between 220 and potentially winning versus 180 and being average? Apparently a lot to Jerry Reinsdorf. Rick Hahn is to blame for knowing what resources he had, and not building it the correct way for spending money in the bullpen and thinking he can just piece together a lineup or, you know, spending on, you know, spending on relievers as a philosophy just isn't usually good um, because you get the Joe Kelly's who, you know, they turn 34 and all of a sudden they, they don't have it anymore. And now you're paying them $10 million to put up a six ERA, but Rick Hahn is to blame for poorly allocating his resources and Jerry Reinsdorf is to blame for not providing the resources that winning teams should be providing.
0: I mean, but the payroll is like, and this is not an excuse. The payroll is a competitive payroll. I just, it, it, but the difference with Jerry, it's not the number it is. You need to be willing to go and give that little bit extra that you think makes all the difference. And like, this is where like people have their issues with them in Chicago, but it's where any bears fan would probably tip the cap to the McCaskies because they've done this throughout their, you know, as far as I can remember when the bears were close and you felt like, all right, we're getting, we're, we're we're a good team that we can excel into a great team with one big investment. They've made that investment. Like they gave Khalil Mack a hundred million dollars and then some because that was a missing piece on a defense that was going to be an otherwise good team. No, hear this out as well uh the White Sox were paying a j Pollock fourteen point five million dollars in uh two thousand actually probably eleven and a half because three of this is signing bonus, but eleven and a half million dollars in twenty twenty two Uh, Kendall Graveman got $8 million. Joe Kelly got $7 million. Josh Harrison got $4 million. So just those three players alone, Graveman got eight. Kelly got seven. Harrison got four. That's 19 million for the three of them. Kyle Schwarber made exactly $19 million for the Phillies last year. So that is not a Jerry Reinsdorf problem. That is him saying there is $19 million left in the budget. And that is Rick Hahn choosing to spend it on Josh Harrison, Joe Kelly, and Kendall Graveman, two relief pitchers and a backup second baseman because Tony was always going to play Leary Garcia 150 games instead of the 40 home run starting right fielder at a position of need. I'm just saying. So like that, right. That is what you're talking about where it's on both parties and we wanted to blame Jerry Reinsdorf for the longest time. And we still can throw blame and dirty glances his way. But Rick Hahn colossally screwed this thing up. Well, if for
1: no other reason, we can blame Jerry Reinsdorf for the fact that 10 years after taking over as GM, Rick Hahn is still here and still has job security, despite the fact it's that the White tough, Sox. Are- it's that I,
0: I've seen. Go ahead. Drop your number.
1: Go ahead. The White Sox, since Rick Hahn became GM 10 years ago, are
0: 124 games under 500. Look, I'm not going to hold the record against Hahn because 13-14, I believe 13 was his first year, there were some bad years. And until 2016, Rick didn't have much control. Kenny was still kind of calling the shots. So Rick got control the offseason after 2016 when Kenny's core of Todd Frazier, Chris sale, Jose Quintana uh, you know, let's find some of these guys and see if we can make a run when that didn't work. They finally said, okay, Rick, let's do it your way. And, And Rick has taken over since then. And there were some more bad years in there, but you went, you put this fan base through misery in 17 and 18 and we saw the potential that was there in 2019 and you looked this dead in the face and said, ask me after the parade. And you said, we plan on winning multiple championships. And if we don't win championships, we are going to look at this thing as a failure. And you looked me dead in the eyes and said, we are going to win your trust back and just look at my guy, Pedro Grafol, who's going to come in and, and really kind of light things on fire for this team. And you had a, smirky smarmy grin on your face after a two two split with the Houston Astros saying well I tell you that I I've been trying to tell everyone that Yohan Moncada was that type of player well what happened now because you are five and whatever since then five and 13 worse than that like you're trash so what happened you can't do it you uh... failed (laughs) Did you see the Han interview with uh, Paul Sullivan from the Sun-Times? No, I didn't. I can't read anything that Rick Han is a part of now. And it sucks because I was his biggest defender two years ago. But Oh,
1: me too. I I was a big-time Rick Han supporter. I really liked the work he was doing um, until he stopped doing it. And now I, I'm just kind of wondering what happened. Um, but Rick Han did an interview with Paul Sullivan uh, just like a week or two ago, and – Paul kind of brought up uh, the fact that the team was off to a slow start, and he he said, you know, are you are you worried at all that this is just a oh, repeat of last see, I year? I did
0: see this. Oh my.
1: And God. Rick Hahn basically came after the fans, and he said, I don't know which fans you're talking to, Paul, because all the f- none of the fans that I talk to are are coming up and saying, oh, it's just the same thing as last year. A lot of the fans that that I talk to are very positive. Uh, Imagine that. I I think the negative fans are just seeking you out in the comments. And I would love to know which fans Rick Hahn is talking to.
0: He's talking to his family and friends that root for the White Sox and are saying, yeah, Rick, it's I I picture Rick Hahn's interaction with those fans, like that scene in Moneyball where Billy's uh, back with his like ex-wife and her husband or whatever. He's like, yeah, we're uh, really proud of what you've done with the team this year, Bill. And it's like, he's just like, yeah. Thanks. Appreciate it. It's like, yeah, I mean, the the guys really seem to be inspired out there and he's taking that like to his ego, just being like, Oh, Oh yeah. People are noticing the difference. We're winning their trust back. They're starting to like me again. Nah, you suck. The team stinks. If you have some time,
1: go and check out the video. Um, And socks on 35th, just reposted it after uh, one of the losses this weekend. And it is Rick Hans postseason kind of post-mortem about last season where he says, you know, depressing, failure, disgust, shock. I think all those acronyms would be appropriate. And then he goes on to talk about how they need to earn the team's trust back. And that was just a couple of months ago or a few months ago. And I'm just like, how did we get – the only difference between then and now is Andrew Benintendi and Pedro Graffol. Like how how did we get to – this is it. We've earned your trust back from there in just a few months. I, I, I don't understand.
0: I, they hoped everyone would forget. They they hoped everyone would forget. And uh, they went in as as is. And we're not going to have this podcast now because I'm sure we are going to have many weeks to, you know, figure out what happens next. This summer, as we fail to recap White Sox baseball, I apologize for the difference in the show today, but it just wasn't I didn't feel like doing a star and a bum of the week with how how disgusted I've been. And frankly, I haven't watched a lot of baseball. Like, I mean, I've told you
1: I'll do it for you. The bum of the week is the Chicago White Sox
0: organization.
1: The star of the week are all the fans who have decided that they're done watching.
0: There you go. Touche. I mean, we, we, you and I, our father, we do pick to click every week or every day. And we try and like pick someone who's our pick to click. And it's like, you're like, oh, who, who, who clicked yesterday? Who gets the point? And I'm like, dude, I didn't watch the game. And I'm looking at the box score. Does it really matter who we pick? Like, I couldn't tell you the difference between his 0 for 3 and his 0 for 3. I yeah, didn't watch <laughs> I, I think this
1: past week we were making picks based on, well, they both went 0 for 3, but this guy only struck out once and this guy struck out twice. So he wins. It's like,
0: come on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the saddest part of all of this is, and. Let me get, I'm just going to do a quick monologue for for the podcast because I've talked to a few people about this and I I just really feel like I need to dictate what I feel like a lot of White Sox fans are feeling out there. We are past the level of anger. I was angry last year, angry this off season. At, At this point, I am, yes, apathetic, but when I think about the big picture, I am sad because when I got into this rebuild when I saw what the White Sox were, were doing and building, it felt like something I hadn't experienced before as a fan. For the first time as a White Sox fan, I felt like this team had direction, had purpose, had hope. I look back at, at like the posters that you know, Sox on 35th would release of like, A New Hope with all the White Sox prospects on it. And it's starring Alec Hansen and, uh, you know, whoever that didn't work out. And I, I miss that level of hope and excitement because I watched baseball every year. I watched the playoffs every year. And I was like, man, that would be so cool if my team got to be a part of that. And I had never really experienced that before. I don't remember much of 08. I hardly remember anything of 05. Like I wasn't a mature fan at the time. And uh, this group has been, I I didn't necessarily want, I I wanted world championships. That wasn't necessarily my expectation. I, I didn't go into this saying, well, I expect the White Sox to win a world series, maybe two, like there were times where it like popped into my mind that like, Hey, they might actually like do this. Like they might actually have something special here, but more than anything, I wanted to be relevant. I wanted to get to watch my team in October. I wanted people to respect the white Sox. I wanted people to respect white Sox fans. I wanted people to acknowledge that the South side is a baseball side and that, you know, we're here too. I watched the Cubs in 2016 and 2015 and 2017, whatever. I wanted people to know that, Hey, the white Sox are here too. And we care more than they care on the North side. And I am just so sad that it, we are talking about this because more than likely it's over, like more than likely they are headed towards trading. A lot of these guys, this this summer and uh where is the path forward Uh, we'll talk more about it in the weeks to come but i mean you are in agreement with me that like they have pieces to trade they could go get assets they could have a lot of young talent and they've got players like colson montgomery in the wings that are, are ready to come and you know probably be fan favorites here in chicago but if this ownership group And this front office has already shown us once that they are not willing to push their chips all in. Why do we feel like that's going to change this next time around? So unless we are catching, you know, lightning in a bottle one time, it just sucks to feel like every other team in baseball has these waves of, yeah, it sucks for a little bit, And then we're fun for a little bit and people love Baltimore Orioles baseball or whoever's baseball and they they win and they lose and they go on this cycle. And it feels like we're just like, we're on, we went halfway up and we're on our way back down and we never got to experience any of that. Our second home playoff game was a day game. Nobody went to that game. Like if you didn't go to game three, you missed playoff baseball in Chicago and it came and it went. And that was it. I remember talking to you cause you couldn't go Noah and saying, well, next year we'll go next year. We'll make it a point for, to go. And it's like, is there going to be like, it wasn't next year. It's not this year. Is there going to be another year that like we get to see this because since I've been alive, how many playoff appearances did the white Sox have three Four like and like every 10 years for the last like however long, it's been like one every 10 years they host a playoff game at Guaranteed Rate Field. So I don't know. That's my that's my rant. But it, it just it's sad more than anything because it's like it we didn't deserve this. We deserved a couple years of competition and fun and getting to sit down on a summer night and watch our baseball team and actually like not hate what we see that's it
1: yeah i mean i couldn't have said it better myself sorry i sorry to go all like <laughs> no yeah you're burned, totally fine i i remember 2021 and i remember not getting a chance to go to that playoff game um, with you and with our dad. And I remember telling you guys that I was really jealous that you were able to go and that next year I was going to make sure that I got to go with you. And, um, for those of you that don't know, I'm not local to Chicago anymore. Um, so, you know, it would have involved flying in and going and getting time off work, all that stuff. So there were logistical reasons that I could not make it
0: It was like a mid. Yeah, it was like a Friday. I think it or was or a Sunday day?
1: night. Oh, I think it was okay. a Sunday so. night. Um, but I hope that I get that chance again. Um, but at this point, I'm not sure that I will, and that that is really really sad. I I feel like I have waited. Well, I have never been to a White Sox playoff game. I have only seen the White Sox in the playoffs uh, four and a half times, if you count the 2020. Uh, clown season, then that's a half. Um, but 2005, I, I, 2008, um, actually three and a half, 2005, 2008. Those, <laughs> and, like yeah. well, yeah,
0: maybe for you, I mean, you're, you are three years older than me. You have more memories, especially of 08, but like, I've told you this before. I remember the blackout game. I don't remember the division series against Tampa that year. So like, I remember the white Sox in the ALDS one time ever. And that was 2021. That was the only time I I remember watching an American league division series game and seeing the white Sox on my screen. And like that, that's terrible. Like that's so bad that you it's hard. You have to almost try to not do that in a, in a league that has so much parody and as ebbs and flows and like, I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, long story short, I sincerely
1: hope that in the next couple of years, I get to go to a white Sox playoff game with you and with our dad. And we get to finally watch the good guys on the South side, uh, and actually think that, you know, they might have a chance to win the series because as electric as that game was, they were already down Oh two. And you just kind of had a feeling like I'm just going to enjoy tonight because chances are, this is the only one we're getting. Um, So I would love, I would love nothing more than to be able to do that. But at this point, I just don't know that that's going to happen. Um, And we endured years and years of losing on purpose so that something
0: like that could happen. And it's, it's just discouraging. It will correct, like baseball corrects itself where I will find another way to love baseball. People respond in different ways. Like, I mean, you are uh you still watch major league games you try and take interest in other teams' storylines and, and and find things to get you excited to watch baseball every day i'm not wired that way i have a really hard time bringing myself to like consume a lot of baseball when i can't do anything but think about like like i see the 15 and 7 pittsburgh pirates right now and i say like why them like that should be us it's not their turn yet. Like they're still, they're still building. Like I see the Cubs having as much fun as they're having on the North side. And it's like, really, again, they get to have all the fun. Where's our turn to have all the fun. Um, And so it makes me sick. It does correct itself because I watched a lot of baseball in 2018 and 2019 and whatever, when the white Sox were rebuilding and the expectations were low and you find a way to, watch the box scores in on the minor league baseball app and, you know, check out what the Birmingham Barons did that night and give yourself a reason to have hope and, and get up for your team and get excited. It's just, I'm, I'm not ready to have to stoop to that level yet. Like I'm not ready to watch the White Sox and be like, well, I know they're going to lose, but how does Colson Montgomery look tonight? I'm like, I'm just not, I, I It's uh, I cannot believe we're at that. I feel like we just, we just finished doing that. Yeah, I'm not not wanting to go
1: back and do it again.
0: Like it, it was fine when it was like, you knew what you were signing up for. Like we were like, all right, we're tired of this. Let's do the rebuild. That'll work for sure. And it got you through the tough days of the rebuild for the excitement, but it's like, If next, if if the White Sox do what I think they're going to do, you think they're going to do, they trade a lot of these guys and then they don't make a huge free agent push and their payroll decreases. And, like, you're you watching next year's team to be like, hey, is how's Andrew Vaughn? How's Colson Montgomery? Is Oscar Colas taking the next step? But even if they do, they're not going to win a division. So it's just, it's a, I don't know. It's unbelievable that we're back at, like, I, I... unapologetically have been checking the minor league baseball app every day, checking how so-and-so prospect did and, you know, what it means for something four years from now, which is crazy.
1: Yeah. I I almost forgot that minor league baseball was a thing because the last few years, I last two, three years, I just haven't cared. You know, I've been like the farm system's bad. I don't care. The major league team should be good. That's, that's yeah. what I care about. But this year I'm with you, man. I'm checking minor league scores. I'm actually following some of these prospects. Cause I'm like, well, this doesn't work. So who's on the way, what kind of help is on the way, which players are we going to see, uh, you know, making their major league debuts. And and that was the thing that really got us through the rebuild was like
0: one guy oh, every couple months. Yeah. Yohan like...
1: Moncada is coming up major league debut. This is awesome. We can watch him. Oh, Michael Kopech. Heard a lot of things about this guy. Now he's making his major league debut. This is going to be great. And yeah, it's just sad that we're back at that point again. And, you know, I'll say this. It's April 23rd.
0: No, don't do this. Don't do this. I'm not trying to be all optimistic. I I understand what you're trying to do because you're trying to prevent us from looking like idiots in September. And I, I appreciate that because... I, I think about that sometimes. It's like, man, we're going to look like real chumps if this ends up being okay, but don't do it. I'm not going to let you do it because I, I don't, I did it to myself today and wish I hadn't. So we just need to, we need to start the, you're back to denial. You're cycling back, dude. <laughs> even if right. you want, even if you want to say you don't believe it and you're like, I, I don't think they're going to turn it around, but they could there's that voice inside your head. You need to stop letting that voice have a voice. You need to start saying, shut up, voice. No, they can't. <laughs> like, all
1: right. I I won't say anything. All I will say is I hope that we look like idiots in September.
0: And that is all I'll yeah, say. I think, think you're pretty safe, but you know, who knows? We will take it on the chin happily. You definitely will take it on the chin happily. All right. Uh, upcoming schedule, Noah. <laughs> Whatever. Let's, I mean, let's go ahead. It doesn't get any easier. It's not slowing down. So just go ahead and show what the White Sox, uh, what the rest of this gauntlet is looking like here. Uh, apologies
1: if you hear background noise. Uh, it looks like a monsoon just started outside. Um, it doesn't usually storm here,
0: but I, I don't really hear anything. You're, you're, for, like the,
1: you're okay. <laughs> for like the last couple of minutes, it's been kind of crazy. Uh, Anyways, speaking of storms, uh, the dark cloud for the Chicago White Sox schedule, if you are looking for that to part this week, uh, you are going to be disappointed. The schedule does not get any easier Um, after getting swept in Tampa Bay. um, They're just going to head up north to Toronto, uh, where they deal with the team that is currently 13 and 9. Um, Yet six games back in the AL East, uh, the Toronto Blue Jays at 13 and nine, which is pretty impressive uh, for the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, But they'll be in Toronto for three uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, Monday, we have Lance Lynn going for the White Sox against their former farmhand, Chris Bassett. Um, On Tuesday, Mike Clevenger uh, will go against Jose Barrios. And then on Wednesday afternoon, it will be Michael Kopech and Yusei Kikuchi. Um and Thursday, the White Sox will finally head back home, but unfortunately, they are heading back home to face the Tampa Bay Rays, the team that they just got uh pretty easily outplayed by uh, this weekend. Um, and that will be a four-game series on the south side of Chicago. Um, three six ten starts Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and then a 1-10 p.m. start on Sunday afternoon. Um, so the schedule, which has been tough here in April is not going to get any easier this week. If the White Sox are going to get back on the right track, they are going to have to do it against some very good opponents
0: once again. Yeah. I mean, it. it is unfortunate because the Tim Anderson, Yuan Moncada injuries, like – Those two players are so big for this team, especially when you look at some of these lineups that they're throwing out there that have Elvis Andrus, Romy Gonzalez, Sebi Zavala, Gavin Sheets all in them. It's like, wow, you need help back quickly, but there is no break when you have to go against Tampa, Philly, Toronto, Tampa again. So uh, yeah, White Sox have their work cut out for them. Thank you for this session of White Sox therapy Uh, otherwise known as the put it on the board podcast. We'll be back with you next week to do our April recap, um, which uh, hopefully sounds maybe a little bit different. We'll see. I mean, I mean, we just have a lot to talk about with the April recap and then where they go from here. We'll have a guest on for that show TBD on uh, you know, who will be joining us, but hopefully that's a good show. And hopefully we can continue to put out entertaining podcast content for you, despite the woes that are surrounding the Sox season. We'll just uh, find another thing to get us through week to week to game to game uh, and hopefully get you through this 2023 season and keeping you plugged in to a team and a fan base that you love, but that's all for tonight. Uh, and that's uh, all for this week. So we are going to continue putting crooked numbers up on that board next week. We'll see you.